0: So Jim, uh, Jim Johnson, welcome to The Journey. And um, l- let me just share a little bit about what The Journey is. Uh, the Journey is a show that uh, really talks about the concept and the ideas of transformation. How does a person um, have struggles in their life and, and take those struggles and then transform into maybe who God or, or their higher power designed them to be? or how they, with certain setbacks, how did they recreate themselves or, or fail forward? And, and I know uh, uh, a few months ago, you shared a little bit about your story to me, and, um, and, and you've been now at KP for uh, about nine months, and, um, and, and you've done, been doing a great job with uh, helping clients and, and a huge part of our team now. Um, so I just wanted to have you on the show and kind of uh, have you share a little bit about your story. Um, but before we jump into all that, um, when when Jim has an opportunity for some fun, what, what do you do for fun, Jim?
1: Um, well, we've really, I've been really enjoying time with my wife and we've been, um, even with uh, uh, sheltering in place, we've been riding our bicycles, been going up to Madison and they have the Lake Loop up there. It's a 15 mile ride. That's been a lot of my self-care um, okay. it's an every weekend thing um gives us a hour and a half to talk on the way up there an hour and a half it's been a good time and um I love animals that's kind of my first love and I train border collies um, for sheepdog trials and stock dog trials and uh so that's one of the ways I kind of uh get away and have a little bit of fun I'm there's still kind of this part of me that uh I don't know, like a little edge. I got a motorcycle and uh, I bought a boat. And so there's, I feed that side of myself a little bit every now and then.
0: Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, how, how long have you been into uh, with uh, breeding and raising dogs or training? You, you, you breed and raise them and, and train them
1: or. I'm mostly training now. Um, it started probably 15 years ago. And then there was some. Um, My son was ill for a while and it kind of went by the wayside for a while, but the last three years I've kind of been ramping up a little bit and got a a new dog and I have another new dog on the way that are hopefully going to be potentially, I can start breeding them and moving forward from there. So the last two or three years, I've kind of definitely gotten back into it. Okay. I got done with my, graduate work that freed up a little time too to kind of get back into it. Sure, sure. So uh your your wife's name is Peggy. Peggy.
0: And how long have you and Peggy been together?
1: Um we've been married 30 years and it started uh actually we started dating in high school so I've probably known her thirty six years. Okay.
0: All right. Okay. And um and what is, does Peg work outside the home or what is what is does Peg? Yeah, doing? she
1: works at a bank. She's a chief financial officer at a bank.
0: Okay. All right. She's and
1: a CPA it... first, and now she's in banking.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And um and and uh, you have kids. How many kids do you have?
1: Um, I have a daughter, Caitlin, who's twenty-seven years old, and she is a nurse at Swedes. Okay. Uh, she just had a baby uh, six weeks ago. Okay. Named Cam. Um and then I had a I have a late son who passed away in two thousand and ten.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. So um so and then you I, and Cam, right, is your grandson, correct? Right. Okay. And so this is your first the first grandbaby. Right. Okay, okay.
1: Yep. Caitlin actually married a guy that we actually like a lot and his name <laughs> is uh, Brandon. So Okay. Yeah, so we that's kind of our Brandon's kind of become a kid too. Um,
0: Okay. Sure. Sure. How long have they been together?
1: uh, Three years now. Okay. All right. Four. I'm sorry. Four. I got told yesterday okay
0: (laughs) all right i i i can resemble that that's i do the same thing (laughs) i have to i have to figure out certain milestones to remember how long the relationships have been going So, so so um i know that uh you told me that before you got you know before you were a counselor there was a whole nother uh a uh, life that you were career that you were involved with and and so what what did you first start with or maybe even before we jump into that where you're from where where are you
1: where are you from um, I live over between Winnebago and Seward okay okay um, Winnebago school district, but we live out in the country on a farm. gotcha and, and then so- I grew up just like two and a half miles west of where I live now. so those two farms kind of acted together my dad lives on the other one.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And so you you grew grew up on the farm and that was part of your life growing up, right? Yep. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit, what was that like growing up on the farm, growing, and and then you did farming for a while as well, correct?
1: Yeah, I farmed with, so I I grew up on a farm and we raised um, corn, soybeans. Uh, We had cattle and hogs for quite a few years. Um, It kind of developed more into the hog side as far as the livestock side goes. I loved it, loved it from day one. I was a kid that got up with my dad every morning I could and was out there, not because he made me, because I I liked being out there with him. Um, I went to the University of Illinois um, in agriculture, animal science, um, kind of with my preference being towards veterinary science more than the production side, just because I felt like I could learn the production side from my dad. So, um, which I did. So came back, farmed with him, uh, for, I think we farmed together for 20 years. Oh, wow. And, um, about, I think it was the early nineties, middle nineties, the prices for our livestock got really bad. Um, so I, built a, a small meat processing place to try to capitalize on some of that, kind of cut out the middleman a little bit. So I was involved with both of those businesses. Okay.
0: So then, um, and so then you, uh, so from from that aspect of uh, being an, I'm guessing an element of being an entrepreneur, right? Uh, mm-hmm. where, where did that really come from, the entrepreneur aspect of it? Because jumping into that meat processing piece, that that was a little bit uh, it's not a huge stretch from from raising livestock but it's nonetheless it's a different it's out of the normal groove so yeah. how did that all come about
1: um i guess i just kind of saw the writing on the wall that the agriculture industry the way it was that we weren't going to be big enough to survive the way we were we didn't have enough capital to just keep building and building to Um, so I, I felt like, okay, if I'm gonna, and to be honest with you, Kevin, I think part of it was based in fear. Okay. Because I was terrified in not being in that farm environment, like not being, it's all I had ever known. I loved it. Sure. And so I think it was kind of, okay, I got to do something different here to try to preserve this. And so I think that's kind of, what led to taking the leap and and my dad has always been supportive i mean not supportive like do whatever but supportive if it was something that could better us he was always an innovator Uh, so i think it kind of came from that too
0: well you know i think you know it's interesting that you know you talked about mid-90s and the you know livestock the price of livestock was, was taking a different turn the business as a, as a whole, uh, the industry as a whole was starting to shift, right? And as you were seeing this unfolding and seeing the how you guys were doing stuff, there was a vulnerability, and you were looking at how to pivot and how to adapt, right? Right. And um, what's that?
1: Yes, I'm sorry. Just trying to find a way.
0: Yeah, know? yeah. And I and I think right now with everything going on with with what's happening with the the pandemic of COVID and and there's a lot of businesses right now that are I mean I don't know of a business that isn't getting impacted right so so every business is getting impacted and for some it's going to be just like you did back in the '90s how are you going to it um, in and fear is, fear is, is an energizer, right? You can, you can be energized by fear, or you could be paralyzed by it. And if you get energized by looking at movement, um, that energy has got to come from somewhere. And, and, you know, to be able to, to figure out how do we, how do we become innovative? How do we adapt? um, You know, how do we look at ways of, you know, possibly adding to the business or doing the business more efficiently or something like that, I think is key during these time periods. How, how did that, um, how did that work for that time period? And, and kind of tell us a little bit about what happened then, as you started going into the processing piece of it, what did that do with the business? Did, how did that help? How did it not help? what did you learn from it?
1: Um, I guess the coolest thing about it was, I maintained the family interactions. It's it's like we kind of came into it with that same family mentality. And I think in hindsight, even, I mean, I think it was, I was conscious of it at the time, but I think especially in hindsight, we got to do it as a family. I can remember at Christmas time was obviously a big time um, at the, with the meat stuff. And I had my my nieces that came and helped and that, you know, I I grew closer to them. And, and there was some really cool aspects from it from that point. But from a financial standpoint, it was difficult. Like we, we couldn't ever quite get over that hump of, um, and I guess the other part of it was the production side. We weren't selling enough through the meat store to, that matched all of our production. So we were still getting hurt on the remainder of our production that wasn't going through the store. Sure. Gotcha. But there were the advantages were, you know, like I said, dad and I were together actually probably more because we were both working up there as well. So
0: Okay. Okay. So, so one of the core things that you wanted the business to, to do was to be able to not only provide a living, but then also to provide that, that, uh, that, that family experience, that family unity, um, and and continue to work from that end. It it may not have been the thing that was going to create some huge legacy or retirement, but it was going to be able to, to, you know, to, to, to keep the, keep the family as a whole going together. Right. Gotcha. Okay. And I think that's kind of key too, right now. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who own restaurants right now, and how are they adapting and pivoting during this time period when they can't have their, their customers dine indoors? And when they do, when that happens, when the, when the dining does open up, um, what's that going to look like? Or, or do we not open up and do we just stick with carryout? And, and I was talking to a couple different people about different ways of, uh, of changing and, and adapting and, and, and trying different things now.
1: Yeah. And I think the, it's facing that fear. And and to be honest with you, like that fear is what can keep you in too long. Does that make sense? It's like, you talked about fear being a motivator. And so I know for me, just being honest, like I feared so much not having that family unit, not working as a family unit, um but the irony is I guess now is that when I, I can look at it sitting here today and my family's still as close as we ever were. Sure. Yeah. And things have changed quite a bit up yeah. till now. So I guess from a hope standpoint, like it it's kind of separating that I can be with family, I can be content with family, despite what a family business, how it may change or develop and sure.
0: Sure. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting when you talk about that, you know, that fear can be, you know, a motivator to adapt and change. It also can be a fear a fear can cause us to dig our heels in and and refuse to change, right? That we stick around for too long. And I and I know for me, there's been time periods in my life where I I saw the writing on the wall. I, I knew that my time at this particular you know, this particular career or this particular activity. And, and I stuck around too long because who would I be uh, if the, if I stopped doing this activity or stopped doing this thing? And there was a lot of concerns. And, and I know sometimes we even talk about in addiction that people will stay with a, 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 a pattern of addictive pattern or behavior or substance or whatever. And, and it's because of the fear of who I be, if I stop. And, um, and, and so they know it's done. They know it's over, but they stick around um, because of that fear.
1: Right. Who would I, Who am I going to be if I stop?
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, why, why don't you kind of fast forward to, to you know, what did and inevitably what happened with the with the family business, with the farm? Um, and, and tell us a little bit about how that story transitioned for you, because I know that there was a transition for you. So why don't you kind of fast forward with us with that?
1: Well, um, so 2002, so we built the meat business in 1999. Um, 2002, we were in a very, just my immediate family. So it was me, my wife, my daughter, and my son. My son was five. My daughter was 10 at the time. Um, A 16-year-old kid blew a stop sign, hit us. Um, My son and I were very badly hurt. In the midst of, did I say it was 2002? I'm sorry. Yeah, you said about three years into the meat when the meat business had started. Um, I was in the hospital for a few weeks, and I think I, you know, you talked about addiction. I already kind of had an addictive personality a little bit, I think, and ended up getting hooked on the pain meds from the accident. My son. At five years old, when they were doing the CAT scans from the accident, they discovered a tumor. So, as soon as he got healed up from the accident, we were right up to Madison to start working on that. And so, for me, Mr. Family, Mr. Control Freak, try to keep everything, you know, right where I wanted and keep it safe. That all kind of got blown up, kind of all in one day. so he went on to, uh, fight cancer, uh, for eight years after that. Um, and it was a definitely, uh, developmental time for me. I got clean about a year later, probably, and, uh, got myself help. And I still feel incredibly blessed. that I was there for those years of his life at a hundred percent, but I realized And like, you know, you mentioned before, like the meat store did fine, but I I just could see the writing on the wall. I didn't necessarily see this being like, we were going to, are we going to work this hard for this amount of income the rest of our life? And I was just awestruck with the people at UW, at the Children's Hospital. Just, I, I felt like they gave us as parents even more than they gave my son, Ben. And I mean, they treated him amazingly. And it started to kind of fuel this fire, I think, that was always in me <clears throat> to take that risk, to help people, you know, to, to be there in the tough times, to be there when it might be scary for other people, because I had kind of had to face that myself. So um, I talked to dad one day, I still remember, it. I don't know if he does. And I just said, dad, I feel like, you know, to... I need to do this, and I, I, I had known from volunteering at um, Rosecrans that if I was going to do anything in the mental health field, first of all, I wanted to be good at it, or know I could actually help. And the other part I knew was you're going to have to have graduate education to do it. So um, I went to school over the course. For my graduate degree, over the course of about five years, because I was working full time. Um, in the midst of all that, we sold the meat store, um, transitioned the farm out where we got out of the livestock and rented out the land. And then I started out working at Rosecrans, and that kind of once I completed my graduate degree. Um, my son actually passed away, I think it was three weeks before I started my graduate degree. So I kind of developed, you know, that was kind of part of my growth there too. So, and now that's kind of through that process, um, I got here.
0: Okay. So, so, and I apologize, your, your son's first name? Ben. Ben. So Ben died in 2010 and and prior you you started you started the graduate
1: program 3 weeks before before he died it was a, it was 3 months after he died in april and then i started in august of that okay. year wow okay okay and i also started at rosecrans so for one year i was working i was running the business and working at rosecrans full time okay and going to one class i wasn't like full time at right. school. But, okay. Okay. So we kind of made that whole transition. We transitioned to life without Ben, not farming, and going to school all within kind of that same year. Sure. Sure. So, so going back to the journey
0: of of, of Ben having, because um, it, it's kind of a unique, well, I, I don't know if it's unique or not. I mean, it sounds unique to me, but so you guys get into a car accident in 2002, right? But Ben, for all sakes and purposes, wasn't sick, nothing was wrong, or anything like this, right? right. It, and so, but because of the, the, the MRI or the CAT scans he had to have because of the accident, they discovered this tumor. If, if they wouldn't have discovered the tumor at, at that time, let's say the accident never happened, What any any speculation on what what that would have been like?
1: Well, that was kind of the challenge is that obviously first we thought um, You know God swooped in saved us like what if we wouldn't have found the tumor? You know this gave us an opportunity to take care of it. It was small at the time. It was only stage two. It was the, the disease is neuroblastoma and it's almost always stage two when they catch it because it, it it grows on nerves and it started on his adrenal gland and so it had just gotten into one lymph node. But the thing that I didn't realize till now is that um, kids can often fight these cancers off and at the time the tumor was actually half benign and half malignant. Okay. So he, his body was already starting to fight it off. Okay. So now we're not sure if the trauma from the accident might have actually got it going more, even though they removed the tumor, but we'll never know. Sure. Sure. Okay.
0: So it's one of those things where at one, in one hand, it obviously it was a trauma and, and tragedy, and then it could be seen as a blessing. And then, and then later with more information, it, we just don't know. Right. Right. And, and I think that you said something earlier about someone who wants to have answers or wants to be able to dictate um, what answer I'm going to pick a, B or C Uh, this is going to drive it crazy sometimes. Right.
1: Always. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know,
0: and I think that, that is, you know, I think sometimes when, you know, when, when people are struggling and, and is recognizing that, you know we can't we can't control the outcome necessarily we can just control the choices we're making along the journey and um and in the and that whole process of what ifing ourselves after something happens um will drive us crazy um, and so if 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 you could And I know this is is maybe a hard question, um, but if there was one thing that you learned about yourself going through that experience of of being a father with his son having cancer, what what would be something that you learned about yourself that you wouldn't have learned if you wouldn't have gone through that?
1: Um, I guess the number one thing is that I learned how much we can still find joy in a really difficult time. And I'll be honest that I, I realize it more now. I, I'm not saying I, I had all this insight when I was going through it. Sure. But I but I realize now that what I think what it taught me more than anything else is number one, you know, I mentioned that I was fear so fearful of leaving home or the family unit, you, you know, I, because we had such a strong family unit. And then it was kind of like, I kind of had the, wow, God, if you couldn't have hit me any harder, then you go ahead and take my son. But what I actually realized is maybe the gift that, and I think the rest of my family would speak to this to some extent, the gift that we got was that the thing we thought was the worst thing that could possibly happen, and not that it wasn't awful, didn't kill us, we're still okay. We're still finding joy. And I think that's kind of how I try to help clients. And it's kind of become my motto is that life's going to be hard. You know, like we're going to, by, you know, you said choosing the next, deciding to live instead of deciding to be stagnant or deciding to live and instead of deciding to be paralyzed in fear. I think sometimes sometimes, people get caught up thinking that that means that I'm just not supposed to care or I'm not, that wasn't supposed to hurt or that, uh, that grief. No, that doesn't, you still are going to have to feel the pain. You're still going to have to feel fear. But will I allow myself to actually have joy at the same time? Mm -hmm. Will I allow myself to look down, look under door number three? And is there, am I willing to risk being happy? Am I willing to risk that this isn't going to be the end and that there is another way to live? And, and it's that, you know, getting past, I think, I know you've talked about Brene Brown and I think she calls it the hustle, right? Like trying to appear like I'm fine and that I'm dealing with everything. Okay. And, and I think the biggest gift I got from Ben was that, first of all, he did really well at just taking every day that he had and doing the best he could with it so I had that teacher and now it's just like hey you know what do I watch the news of course do I am I fearful that I can't do some of the fun things that I love to do of course I am am I fearful for my family of course I am but I'm not I know we'll get through it I, I I choose to be happy today I choose to Just kind of take what comes. I can feel the pain and I know I'm not going to die. But then am I willing to let myself feel some joy at the same time? Sure. Yeah. And I think it's that it's,
0: it's the tension in that, right? It's a, it's living in, living in that and, and, and risking and, and and because to live, to really live experiencing pain and fear at the same time, being open to experience joy, um, that there's a vulnerability that, that you have to be, choose to be open to do that, to do both because so many times I want, want to say, Nope, I don't want to feel anymore. And so we choose to be closed as if somehow that's going to stop suffering from happening. <laughs> it, right. it, it, it doesn't, and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily stop another brick getting thrown on the pile either. Um, so, uh, so a couple of things real quick before we jump onto a different topic, um i I, I want to hear about like if you were gonna describe uh Ben in in um because when 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 ben so Ben was when he died he was 13, 13 okay so so describe if you could describe for for us who's ben what what, what was Ben like if you described describe Ben what was it Ben like
1: um he was our. So Caitlin was the child, my daughter, that you could give her, a, you know, a dirty look and she'd cry. Like, you know, I mean, you, did, you just – she did, always wanted to please, blah, blah, blah. Well, Ben was the second child and he had a little more fire. He was kind of scrappy, kind of spunky, and um, he just – obviously he matured beyond his years, but he kind of took that personality – and I remember he would talk to the doctors and nurses, like they loved him, you know, and he, they loved taking care of him. And he just, he was the kid that if you were around him, instead of making you sad, he was always inspiring. you. And I'm not just saying that cause he's my son. Like it, it's really how it was. He had a, a group of friends that are, they're all now, I think 24. And they actually called themselves Team Ben back when they were in middle school. But, you know, they were all there. They gathered together when we knew he was gonna pass away and they were all there. Like Nobody ever ran away from him. And um, I remember they started a bullying campaign at Winnebago. And I think they do something that, like that every year now, but it was one of the first ones. and. I mean, he didn't like to talk in front of people, and he didn't want sympathy or anything. And he was actually quite sick at the time, but he actually got up in front of the eighth grade to share with the whole middle school how important Make-A-Wish was to him mm-hmm. and how much that had done for him. And it, when he was passionate about something, he would, really, he would sacrifice to um, do what he had to do. Wow.
0: Well, it, yeah, I'm I'm guessing just by that comment about the the, the young men who knew him and got to experience life with him, uh, I, I imagine that Ben's legacy lives lives with them now um, in in different ways because of those developmental years that they spent with him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he he definitely impacted everybody. I can remember even. When we were up at Madison, when they finally had kind of given us the news, there was nothing more they were going to be able to do that. One of the nurses that had taken care of him, I think for the last five years of his life came in and even on her, they had called her and she came in on her day off to talk to him. So, I mean, that was the kind of impact he had. Sure, sure.
0: Well, I can I can definitely tell. Just as as being a being a proud father of of two, um, my my son is is Ben's age, uh, twenty four um, right now, and and um, and then my daughter being twenty one, you definitely are a proud dad of of both your kids. I know a, a proud grandpa too uh, right now, but I can definitely hear that pride when you talk about talk about Ben, uh, not only how he how he lived pre. Um, uh, finding out he has cancer, but then living with the cancer. Mm -hmm. Jim, if there was going to be something, if, and I think I've asked you this question before regarding a different project that I was doing, but if there was something that you were going to tell either a father or a parent that's going through this, um, meaning having a, having uh, either a child or uh, adult child or a child with, with cancer, what what would be something that you would, would want them to know based upon what you've gone through?
1: I guess one of the main things I would – I had the gift of um, a set of friends, and they all know who they are, who I needed – like, you need to talk about it. You need to have a safe place where it's just – I can be honest about how bad it hurts. I can be honest about how scared I am, um, because if I don't, if I if I don't get honest with those feelings, then I don't get to be present. Um, there was one time in particular. So we were about halfway through. So we've probably had been sick for about four years, and I think we were spending. From a third to half the year in the hospital each year, just because he was he was up pretty much he was never in remission, so he was always on some type of treatment. So my wife and I would switch off, and because we never let him be there alone, and um, so the weekends would be the only time we would really get to see each other much, other than in passing when he was in the hospital. So somebody would usually visit on the weekends, and. For people that don't know it, the UW Hospital is right on Lake Mendota up there, and there's a walking path for, like, that the students use and stuff where you can walk along the lake. So generally when somebody would come visit, my wife and I would have a chance to go out and walk along the lake. And we would spend most of our time talking about, okay, I think, you know, Dr. Pachetti said this, and we got labs every morning, and, you know, you kind of become – a nurse by the time you get done with something like this. And we would try to convince each other, you know, he's okay and he's going to be okay. And it sounds like this is going to be okay. And I remember one of the biggest gifts was, is that I think I had talked to somebody who kind of had pushed me and then we kind of went there as a couple. One day we were walking around the lake and I just, I kind of broke the ice and just kind of said, maybe he's gonna die and it was like the first time and I mean we were both thinking it but we were afraid to say it to each other we were afraid that she was afraid I'd fall apart I was afraid my wife would fall apart and I remember that day we just finally said it out loud like he he may die you know in hindsight he it was pretty it had have been hard to see it any other way than that he was going to die. But that being said, he lived four years after that. But the point I'm making is that after we finally got honest with those feelings and got honest with those fears, we finally became, it allowed us the freedom to be present with him again. I remember that night, like, it was like such a relief that we kind of all, got honest with what was really going on we played a game and it's almost like it released us because we had enough support that we felt like we could be honest with those emotions we didn't have to hide we knew people were there to pick us up if we fell so i guess if i had any advice it would be to make sure you try to find the support in whatever it is whether it be therapy or friends or family where you can get honest with those fears because everybody knows you have them, and nobody's going to hold them against you.
0: I think I think that that story is it, it. It appears to be so simple, right? That this is your wife, this is your partner. You should be able to talk about it. But but the way that you described it, I I know in my own journey, just being able to be honest for all the reasons why you said is the reason why we fear um, uh, of either us breaking down ourselves and not knowing if we can come back from it or, or upsetting someone else or them being mad or, or whatever it is. And then, um, but taking that risk to break that ice so that we can then deal with it for what it, what it is. And it actually, after processing it through actually becomes a gift and becomes relief.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that's with the COVID thing that it's kind of that same mentality that, okay, I don't think I'm above getting sick or that somehow, but it's like, all right, we could get sick. But for those of us that aren't, it's like, okay, what do I do with today then? How do I get something out of this day? You know, like, I guess that's my challenge. Yeah. And
0: how and how do we how do we live live right? You know, it's 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 different, right? But how do we still in in jo- have joy in today in the midst of uh, these change and the different things going on? Um, and so, speaking of that, when we're we're inviting um, you know the clients that we work with and the, and the people that we're around as well as ourselves, we're inviting them into. Um, developing resiliency, right into into this idea of uh, that we all got thrust into this time period equally. We're all we're all in this time period together. Um, what would be some of the things uh, that if you were going to throw out to somebody regarding this time period of? Um, resiliency development, right? <laughs> so this is that, this is that difficult time uh, that we're going to look back on at some point and go, yeah, this is, this is where I, you know, my thick, my skin grew a little bit thicker or this is when I pivoted kind of like what, what you were talking about in the nineties with a business or whatever, what would be some suggestions that you would give based upon what you went through with the business, what you went through with Ben, what you went through regarding recreating, um, a career after um, farming. Those are three pretty significant time periods of your life. Um, what would be some a, a couple things that you throw out regarding that resiliency and in, in, uh, changing your stars?
1: I guess the one thing it, I would say is like embrace the uncomfortable as much as you don't want to. You know it's kind of like okay being honest like I said before this is uncomfortable this is scary but I would almost every client that I've ever worked with or anybody I've ever talked to, like has one of those resilient times already in their life. Right. One of those, almost all of us have had a time where we had to endure something. And, and so looking at this as a time for growth instead of an ending, right. Looking at this as, yeah, it is scary and it's okay to be scared, but I don't have to be paralyzed if I'm not sick, you know, it's like, it's having a plan, not just to hide or just a plan to stay away, but how can I have a plan to move forward? Okay. How are we going to talk to each other tomorrow? How am I going to, what do we talk about tomorrow to move this business forward? You know, how do we, instead of sitting terrified, looking at each other with what we lost, what do I still have to gain? How can I grow from this? How can I, and I mean, I'm not sitting here by any means saying I was an expert, you know, it, it's kind of like, I used to have people tell me all the time, how did you do it? Like I could never get through that. You know, I could have never gotten through losing a child. And I'd just be like, you just do, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, and we will get through this. Mm -hmm. It, it, It may look a little different, but, It's like, if I dwell on what I'm losing, then it continues to hurt me. Mm -hmm. If my thinking is constantly in fear and constantly in what I may not get to have, then that joy just gets pushed out so much further. So it's like facing your fear, being honest, whatever you feel like you need to do to make appropriate steps to keep yourself and your family safe. But then if I'm here and I'm still healthy, how do I get the most out of this day? How do I still salvage as much as I can of this day? Even though it might not be a great day, half of this day might've been terrifying, but I still have time to salvage something out of every day. And I feel like every day I get through a tough day, that's resiliency, right? Like. A lot of people, I don't think they're giving themselves credit. They've already been resilient. Mm-hmm. They already got through some fears that they they never thought they'd get through. You know, so I don't know. I, I feel like it's kind of appropriate that it's at spring. You know, trees and flowers and grass, they always adapt, right? Like if it's cold, they decide to grow this way. If it's warm, they decide to grow this way. Like I feel like this is just part of, all of us that are still alive through this time frame, we got to kind of figure out how to adapt. Right. Yeah. You
0: know, it's it's interesting as I'm listening to you talk, and and I and I and I know I've said some of my listeners have heard me say this before, is that uh, you know just as you, we we think of three distinct time periods that you talked about today, you know, with the with the business in the industry that you were in changing in the '90s and. And in the 2000s, with uh, with Ben being sick, and 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 then and then later admitting and identifying that he was terminal, and then in the in the in the in the in the middle of the like 2014, 15, and 16, as you were doing double jobs and you know going to school and working and and all that type of stuff, in those three time periods, you know those were hard hard times, fearful times, difficult times. And and now they're a story that you talk about. Mm -hmm. And right now with this COVID going on and all the different changes that are happening and all the unknowns, um, we're in the middle of writing the story that later we're going to tell. There's going to be a story at some point that we're going to tell about how we act during this time period what we do in this time period right now will be the story that we're going to tell in six months, in nine months, in a year from now. And, um, and so instead of being fearful, just to be fearful and being paralyzed, we need to recognize, like you said, that we are afraid, but not drowned in that. Right. Acknowledge it, admit it, share it with someone, let the energy pass. And now what are we going to do with it? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So Jim, I really appreciate, I appreciate you and I appreciate Pat introducing us and you coming and, and being part of KP, but also being part of my life now. And I I really appreciate that aspect. And I appreciate you having the courage to share your story um, today for, for everyone. If there's just one person, like you said, that can take a piece of it and say, if Jim can do that, then maybe I'll be able to do that too. Um, if there's one thing that you wanted to leave the listeners with, what, what would be that one thing you'd want them to leave with?
1: I guess maybe the thing that I didn't talk about yet is, um, for me, faith is a huge part of it. Um, I I had to have God along the way, and I was angry at Him a lot of times. And I think, however you view your higher power or that part of your life, um, there's a there's a really Valuable piece that comes with a surrender and vulnerability. That I know I'm not running the show. I think for a lot of the beginning of my life, I was just sure I was running the show, (laughs) and 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 I was terrified if I had ever thought I wasn't running the show. Sure. And I think God gave me a lesson that I still am thankful for. That I'm still going to keep fighting, and I don't expect things to just fall in my lap. But I'm not running the show, and. And I'll be okay if I just keep staying in my lane. I guess that would be what I would. Sure.
0: You know, I think, you know, Jim, when you talk about that is, I think that part of recognizing, uh, for me, part of my experience with experiencing God is recognizing that I'm part of a bigger story. And, and, and it isn't all about me, which then technically makes me not God anymore. Um, and, and so, um, cause I used, I, I think I used to send prayers slash memos to God to tell him what to do. And, you know, and then I was either pissed that he didn't do it, or I was grateful that he did, <laughs> you know, however that was. But I recognize now that, I'm, that, that, that God allows me to recognize that I'm part of a bigger story. And um and I don't know what that outcome's gonna be. I just gotta do my part today.
1: Yeah. And maybe this COVID thing is gonna help everybody be ready for the next chapter. And we may not realize how important this is gonna be to prepare us for some other day in our life.
0: Yeah, I agree. Jim, again, thank you very much for being on the show today and I appreciate all the work that you do and, and you sharing your story.
1: So I appreciate you and I love being part of the KP team. So Thank you, too.
0: All right. You have a good night. Yep, you too.